1: It's our time now to introduce our first guest of the day, uh, staying up late for us uh, over in South Africa, uh, the man they call the barefoot coach, Paddy Upton. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah,
0: good morning to you. Thanks very much for having me on the show this morning.
2: Patty, uh, Ricardo did ask me yesterday. We did have a uh, sneaker buff on talking about shoes and the stocks of shoes he has. Ricardo said, Well, what kind of shoes does uh, does Patty rock? And I said, Well, they probably don't ask him that question. It'll be in boardies and Jandals. I said, That'd be fair, wouldn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I prefer, what we call them slops or flip flops um, or bare feet in summer. But I mean, I have been known to wear shoes. I'd rather, out of respect, than uh, in. Um, what in line with the barefoot coach, so I like to be comfortable.
1: Yeah, you've you've had lots of different titles uh, over the years, Patty, in your career. Uh, one of my favourites, though, and I I saw this. I was doing a little bit of prep on on you, reading up on you. And last year in the IPL, you were named uh, with the Rajasthan Royals as the team catalyst. Um, which is the first time I'd ever heard that as a job description. So I, I had to look that up, and it's a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. Uh, is Team Catalyst the best job title you've ever had?
0: No, it's actually not. the be- That was a very unique one, because that, Rajasthan said to me, what, job, what title do you want? Because my role was sort of medical coach and leadership coach and supporting the coaches and sort of overall looking at the sort of all the pieces of the puzzle because I've also been a fitness trainer before. And so they came up with a title, um, Team Catalyst. And I just, you know, I just prefer to be called Paddy rather than have titles. <laughs> but my best title was when, when I joined the Indian cricket team for the first time with Gary Kirsten. And my roles were going to be mental coach as well as um, the fitness trainer as well as strategic leadership coach. Those are my three main roles and I said to them, just I don't mind. Call me whatever you want. It's as I said, I prefer it to be Paddy. And my official title for the three years with the Indian cricket team was Physical and Mental Conditioning and Strategic Leadership Coach. Wow. Was my title.
1: <laughs> How and big was, was the way business too long.
0: card? And we all- Well, the the thing is, they they put your title on uh, blazers and on our kit travel bag, so (laughs) they couldn't fit the title on. So the first tour I went on, they called me the PCN CSL coach, which was the obvious abbreviation. And with each new Bag or blazer we got, I got a different version of that. I was a PNSSL coach, then the P C N S C coach, and I've actually got a couple of bags with these just weird letters on them. So that was a wonderful source of entertainment good. and
2: <laughs> good conversation starter starter at parties there, Patty. Yeah. <laughs> uh jeez during that time mate are uh, you you were the men- <laughs> I'm not even going to try and repeat that. Uh during that time you were with the Indian team for 2008 through to 2011 that World Cup uh win with Gary Kirsten. Um there were some massive personalities in that team mate. How uh, was that a really challenging time for you as that mental skills coach with such big names like Tendulkar, Sehwag, Yuvraj, Harbhajan all all the likes?
0: Um it's yes and no. In my head, I made it out when I arrived there thinking, wow, we're sort of dealing with some really big personalities. But actually, when I got there and the rubber hit the road and I actually got to spend one-on-one time with each of them, the reality is they're just ordinary blokes. Um, and it's and it's actually no different to subsequent to that. I've, you know, I've worked with some of the best cricketers and athletes in the world. And it's the only special thing about them is their talents. And I often say, you know, when I work with teams and that's right up front, one of my first conversations very often with teams is I say, but you guys, the talent that you've got is it's not an achievement. It's not something that you can be, you can claim. You were born with your talent, whether it's, you know, whether it was God given or a genetics from your parents, you know, but it was still a gift. Um, the hard work that you put in, you can claim some of that to turn that into results, but you can 't claim all of it because there 's so many people that help you along the way. but as a human being um, you 're only impressive as a human being when you actually show up and act and behave as an impressive human being um, and you know these top athletes they they're no difference to any other human being except for their talent and you get some guys who show up as are we allowed to swear on your show? Yes. I mean, it's not actually a swear word. It's a, yeah, absolutely. It's a technical you term. They show up as dickheads. And that is a technical term in sport, actually. It's not a swear word. And some guys are just really good blokes. Um, and at the end of the road, that's you know how you behave as a person. Uh, and when you get people one-on-one and you actually get to sort of scratch under the bonnet and maybe point some of their behaviours out, uh, you know, a, I'm not very religious, but I read somewhere and it sort of makes sense that God doesn't make junk. So most people are good blokes, and you've actually got to work hard or be really unconscious to be, you know, a chop. And you know, a couple of conversations and getting people to be a little bit aware of how their behaviour represents them. You know, most people, not all, but most people can turn around and you know realize that actually much easier in life to be a good bloke. Um... Um, and then it's not difficult to work with good blokes.
2: That's really interesting actually, Patty, because um, a lot of the, the new age teams have a no dickhead policy in their team and, and you're saying that most people can be a good bloke. Is your role within a team being able to show uh, coaches how to manage those uh, perceived uh, dickheads in, in those team environments um, or you know, how much rope or how many of those types of players can you have in a team if they're a really quality player?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. That's, um, you know, just one or two things is first of all, you know, I would say to coaches leaders that when you label someone as a problem or trouble or disruptive or a cancer or a dickhead in the team, you want to just check first with yourself that is it your inability to deal with someone who's just very different to yourself. So we need to check in with ourselves as leaders. Is it my inability or my judgment that is creating that person and if they genuinely are disruptive and they've been disruptive sort of for in a number of teams previously, um, you know, then it calls on the art of coaching or the art of leadership to try and help get that person to operate within the value system of the team. Um, and to answer your second, and, and almost always you can do that. There are some people who are out and out um, psychopaths um, and they very manipulative They're very sharp and they're very destructive. Hmm. Uh, You do get those. But most sort of average, they're you can turn them around and and pull them in line. And most teams could probably tolerate one individual like that because if the majority are all towing the line, if that individual doesn't have people that they can pull around them and pull into their own boat and, and create their own little clique, then they tend to either audit themselves out of the team, which is fine, or they tend to sort of regulate and and come along with a journey. But the problem happens is when you've got one disruptive individual or two disruptive individuals, and they're able then to start pulling, particularly some of the younger and the, the, sort of the middle management players, I call them, the middle-ranking players, pull them onto their side and you get a clique of four or five people. That's when you start getting that rift in the team and they, they get some power if, if they can pull others, into their boat that they're rowing in a different direction. And that that's when you have a real big challenge as a, as a coach or a leader.
2: Yeah, I guess over a long period of time, isn't it, um, that they can really disrupt the side. I guess uh, sometimes you find that those guys are the most talented and, and have the ability to stand up in, like, World Cup finals and, and win, actually, big comps. So it's a really big balancing act, isn't it? Well,
0: yes, you know, every now and again, those really talented, disruptive people do win games. But over the medium to long term, um, if they're undermining or disrupting a team, um, they're actually better off being released than kept. because, you know, as they say, and it's pretty true that certainly in team sports, the teams win championships. An individual might win a game or might win a big game. But a really disruptive superstar is probably... Going to disrupt the team enough to prevent them actually reaching the final in the first place. Hmm. Um, so it's definitely a fine line. But you know, for, for me personally, it's crystal clear that you know talent and skill alone is not enough. You know, sports is not just about winning. There's a whole lot more that goes along with sports. It's just a small part of life. You you're a professional sportsman for a very short part of your life. Um, and for me, like. The kind of person someone is being is as important as the results that they deliver. And in this day and age, just producing good results is and being a disruptive individual is not good enough. You know, you're not setting a good example within the team. And you know, a lot of sports are competing. You know, cricket is competing now with other sports, for example, the, the, the footballs and the basketballs that are much more cool and funky and short that kids can play for an hour and then go and do something else. Um, So, you know, you want good role models in whatever your sport is, you know, rugby is fighting for its place in the sun in a place like Australia and cricket is struggling a bit in South Africa. And, you know, so you want your main sports, you want to have good role models that attract kids and parents are wanting their kids to play Mm. and have the poster of whoever that athlete is up in their room, Mm. you know, that sets up the longevity of the game itself.
1: Paddy, you talk talk there about superstars who can make a difference in the odd game, but if they're too disruptive in the dressing room, then in the long term it can't be successful. Is that what we've seen at Manchester United with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, in the last sort of six months, do you think? You know,
0: it's very difficult. You know, I read what you read. I don't know on the inside, you know, is it Ronaldo, is it the, the... the balance, and the mix between him and the manager, or maybe some senior players, almost always, you know, for me in a team, a high-functioning team is when you've got a the leadership influence is united and very functional. And the leadership influence in some teams can come from a very strong coach. In some teams, it comes from a very strong captain, and the coach just sort of slots in underneath him in some teams it's a mix of senior players and captain or senior players and coach ideally you know senior players captain coach that's where where your leadership influence comes from and if you're united on the same page then shit works and if you've got any strong leader and there's a divide in that leadership influence now there's obviously ronaldo i don't know who the other where the other leadership influence really comes from in that team but it seems like there's a division and you know, where does the fault lie? It probably lies in the leadership, not being able to unite a Ronaldo with whoever The other, wherever the other leadership influence comes from within
1: the team. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, it it appears to me that you know he's uh, formerly one of the greatest players in the world, but the powers are on the wane. But it doesn't look like the ego will allow him to admit that. Um, So, I mean, when you're in a a dressing room situation with a player who has been a great player but is getting towards the end of their time at that level, how do you deal with that as a as a mental skills coach? So, the
0: the short answer is almost always the biggest single biggest problem is the ego and the ego is where a player identifies with themselves as a superstar and they show up as a superstar they act as a superstar and they think they're a special person because they get treated by others as a special person and that's one of the biggest mistakes i think a a top athlete or celebrity can make is when you're treated by others as a special person you start thinking you're a special person when you're actually not. You're an ordinary person with a special talent. So, you know, there's a lot of players go through that. It's a very natural transition to get caught up in the ego, the limelight, and you start living as this person, as this public persona, and that always, it ends in trouble. Either during your playing days, it ends in trouble, or, you know, worse still it's when someone is caught up in ego and their public persona becomes who they are, when you step off that center stage and out of the limelight and they retire, that's when they really, really struggle and have big problems because they actually don't know who they are then. They don't because the frame of reference is the way people are treating them. And though that's where you get, unfortunately, ex-athletes who they lose themselves, they, they don't know who they are, and then they need to mask that, that loneliness, that emptiness, that depression, with, and they turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling or whatever they can to to stay in the limelight as much as possible and one of the ways to do it is to criticize the youngsters just stepped into their place so it, it's very unfortunate whereas if you as an athlete you ground yourself and who I am as a person separate from my results and you can constantly separate me as a person and my results I am not my results I'm not my instagram profile i'm not my whatever it might be and you can constantly separate and ground yourself as a a good person regardless of whether your results go up or down or you get criticized or complimented that actually tends to do much better for much longer they don't have pressure they don't have fear they don't have the performance anxieties where the converse is when someone really is an ego then it becomes so important to do well And it becomes a big problem when you're doing badly or your, you know, your results start waning a little bit or your skills start waning a little bit. Um, that becomes very difficult where, you know, someone who's grounded as a person, they realize, well, I'm getting old and I'm struggling a bit and it's okay. And that's normal, but, uh, you know, and then they're able to navigate that a hell of a lot better. So ego is, is, is an, is a real asset or an ally for performance. Probably in the training ground in the gym, but it's probably in athletes also their their biggest obstacle and stumbling block as they go through their career.
2: Um, really good. That's actually a really good summation of all, all of that, Patty. Um, hopefully, everyone's tuning in and listening to this. Great chat. Having uh, Patty Upton with us on SCNZ radio mornings with Ricardo and Mitch. Um, Patty, uh, fear, you brought up fear. Um, you're someone who I don't think has a lot of fear. You were paddle boarding in the peak of some of the great whites out in Manly Bay uh, trying to catch fish and chase, chase bonitas around the bay. Uh, fear with an athlete, and it comes down to performance anxiety, uh, in my my opinion, whether it's in the bedroom or on the field. Uh, how do you help athletes deal with that? Sure. How much time have we got? The short
0: answer, I mean, it's a great question, the short answer is, the two biggest mental obstacles to success in sport and possibly in life is pressure and fear. And they're very closely related. Pressure is the mind's attachment to desperately needing to do well in the future. And the more important a result is, the more we feel pressure. So pressure is chasing a positive result in the future or an attachment to that result. Fear is an attachment to not wanting a negative result to happen in the future. So both of them are about a result in the future, and they only happen because our mind is stuck in the future. The pressure-chasing success, fear, scared of something going wrong. Um, and there's a couple of ways to deal with that. I mean, one of them is, is to come back and focus in the present moment because fear and pressure they're not actually, they don't actually exist. It's not something real, it's a concept that we create for ourselves in our own mind. Um, and we can actually undo that literally in a split second by focusing our, pre- our focus fully back into the present. And when we're focused on the present, fear and pressure cannot exist because, as I said, they're attached to future thinking. And the reason. The second piece, the reason people get really attached to results in the future, either success or failure, is because they attach their personal identity or their sense of self-worth to results. In other words, or another way of saying is they're very much in their ego. Ego needs to do well in order to look good and get praise and acknowledgement and love, and it's terrified of doing badly, of dropping a catch, of getting dropped, of losing a game, of getting hit for six in the final over the T20 game. Ego hates that because it looks bad. You get criticized. um, You get judged negatively and fear. Ego just doesn't want either of those. So someone who suffers a lot from pressure and fear in sport, it suggests to me that they're probably too much operating in their ego. And their ego is, as I said, desperately wanting to do well and not doing badly. But when, we come back and sort of plug into our authentic self or our real self when we separate from results. We understand, every single one of us understands, that if you put in the effort, you focus on the process, you do everything you can to do well, it may or may not happen. You may succeed and you may fail, and there's a genuine acceptance of the fact that I might win, I might lose, but as long as I put in my best effort, that's okay. That's coming from a more real, grounded uh, sense of self, compared to desperate to win, ship scared to do badly, it means you just caught up. You've, mm. Your ego and yourself have got caught up and your ego's running right.
1: Paddy Upton with us, that the was barefoot coach. That a damn catch. long answer to that
0: question. <laughs>
1: yeah, Paddy, um, we, we can talk to you for the rest of the hour, but uh, but but we need to need to crack on. But I really appreciate your time, mate. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Try to stay away from those knowers, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon.
0: Awesome, thanks so much for having me on the show guys and all the best for 2023 to you and all the
1: listeners Yeah, you too mate, you too Paddy Upton there, the barefoot coach, You look him up online he's got his own website and everything, you can see all the people that he's worked with, all the work he's done